Amen. I just, I thought that song, Speak, O Lord, was such a wonderful one to sing um, after the reading of God's word, before God's word is taught, because of just the, the power of the lyrics um, for God to shape and fashion us with what has been planted in us. And so um, that's the prayer this morning. I mean, we're, I'm going to be giving this teaching, this sermon uh, on a, entitled The Seasoning of the Kingdom. Uh, which I'm going to explain in just a moment. But the the heartfelt prayer is for the the next little bit that God would be shaping and forming in us something that we can't naturally give ourselves, that God's word really is that powerful, that impactful, that it would change us uh, during this time. So um, to do that, I'm going to begin by talking about my eating habits as a child. (laughs) What? All right, so here we go. Like I said, when you, have, when you have a title of a sermon titled The Seasoning of the Kingdom, you may have picked up in chapter 4 I, the, the word seasoning is, is used. And um, so it, it alerted me to, I think, something we can use in this sermon to teach us. Uh, but I, when I was a kid, I have the last name White, and I often joked that that was a good reflection of my eating habits as a child. I was a very bland eater as a kid. Um, maybe that's just common in kids, but I felt... I'm a particularly a little self-conscious about how bland of an eater I was as a, as a child. Just to give you some examples, I loved, you know, you know what wheat thins are? You can buy them at the store. It's like literally just wheat crackers. I would eat those by the box, just plain. Like nothing else on them, just like bland. And uh, I thought they were awesome. But I learned later that that was probably not a common thing. Or saltine crackers, just straight up eat them. Um, and even like hot dogs and hamburgers, like I didn't, I wasn't really a fan of having a whole lot of extra things put on them. It just was like bread, meat, bread. Stephen, there you go. Um, however, as I got older, I remember progressing into how I would eat things. And I actually, I remember a big part of my eating development was when I began to dip uh, potato chips into ketchup. It was a big progression for me in life. Um, and then later, I even, whenever I would have a steak, so this is like when I'm a teenager by this point, when I would eat a steak, I would then discover the joy of steak sauce. I would actually put steak sauce on my steak. And it's like, great, okay, we're making progress. Um, but you notice everything was about dipping or pouring onto. It was pretty basic. And um, yeah, I was a strange child, let's just be honest. Um, as I got older, though, and particularly when I got married, I learned the importance of seasoning, which is not dipping or pouring on top of, but it's preparing deeply with a number of things to put onto something and then let it sit and then bake it or cook it with that seasoning going into it, which I learned later, that's a game changer for food eating. Who would have thought you can have your food actually tastes better when you build seasoning and time into things and amazing is it was an epiphany and it took getting married to a wonderful person named Sarah to enlighten me to this in life. And so um, as I reflected on that, I, I think I think there's some there's some carryover to our spiritual life in terms of how we choose to walk about things. And so. The last several weeks in this series in Colossians, we've talked about what it means to live for the kingdom of Jesus. The reality that there is a kingdom that is outside of this world, that we're 
that we're not able to see necessarily, but that is among us, that when we give our lives to Jesus, we are actually part of a new community, a kingdom that has no end, that has Jesus at the front of it as the king that changes how we live our life and changes what we live our life for. And today, what we're going to go into is a little bit of a spiritual cooking class, so to speak, uh, just to continue on in the metaphor. And I think in, in Colossians 4, that passage I read earlier, I think it gives us pretty it gives us pretty clearly four obvious ingredients of the Christian life that are pretty, pretty easily identifiable. I think the four things are prayer, the communication of God's word, witnessing to the world, and then just relationships with other people. Those are four things, four ingredients that are, are necessary to being a Christian. Prayer, God's word and the communicating of it, witnessing to others, and then just relationships with other people. I don't think any of you would argue with me that those four things are critical to being a follower of Jesus or to being a Christian. But those four things are not specifically what I'm going to focus on. What I'm going to focus on this morning is what I would say the four seasonings that accompany each of those four ingredients. So if we're building a meal together, I could give you prayer, God's word, witnessing and relationships and say, here, here's the meal. But I think it would be a little bit like my experience as a kid, just eating a somewhat bland meal. Instead, let's season it with something unique that the kingdom of God offers us that changes our experience of the Christian life, just as my life changed when I learned the power of seasoning for food. And so first, let's look at prayer but let's consider what the seasoning of prayer is. Verse two, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Prayer is the ingredient. Thanksgiving is the seasoning that is to accompany true prayer. So it says, continue steadfastly in prayer. So again, this is a very common thing we should encourage one another with as believers. Pray all the time. Pray about all things. You know, prayer is so crucial for the life of any person, particularly a Christian. It's a critical kingdom ingredient. But as we've been talking about in our Sunday school class over the last several weeks, oftentimes prayer can become monotonous or repetitive or dare I even say dull or boring because it's just we know we're supposed to, but we sometimes lose the flavor that Jesus wants us to have in prayer. And so Paul's encouragement is to be watchful in it. Being watchful, you know, really could be translated, stay awake, be alert in prayer. Don't fall asleep on prayer, which again, I could preach a sermon on that. Pray better, pray more. Don't fall asleep. You need to pray. But do you feel a little bit of the pressure even that I'm putting on you just by saying, stay awake in prayer. You should pray more often. That is part of what Paul's saying, but I think there's something deeper here. He is saying that unintentional, reactionary only, sleepy prayer is ineffective. But I think he's also saying that there's, that there's a, a seasoning to prayer that we need to have that's part of us. And what he points to is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, And again, that, that word resonates because the holiday Thanksgiving is two weeks away. 
And so I'm, I'm preaching on Thanksgiving two weeks before Thanksgiving Day is it's kind of an easy win for a preacher. But I want you to resist the urge of only thinking about Thanksgiving in the holiday sense. Because like anything, when, when a wider culture takes a word, it can easily get swapped into something that's different than what we're going to try to look at here in the scripture. Thanksgiving with regards to prayer changes how we pray. I remember Alan preached a sermon several months ago talking about the importance of gratitude in life and how gratitude can actually fundamentally change how we live out our life. So if you think about how you pray on a continual basis, you could probably name a number of different types of prayer that you pray, and they're all good. You know, praying for other people that are in a hard time, praying for your health, praying for someone who's in a difficult position of life, praying for for wisdom. But what Paul is saying, while all those things are good, thankfulness needs to be baked into every prayer that we pray. And I know you know that, but we need to hear it. Thanks be to God for all the things that he's given us. At a golf course um, in the summer times, and the name of the golf course was Myopia Hunt Club. It's in Hamilton, not too far away. And um, it got me thinking about the word myopia. You know what the word myopia means? Nearsighted. It means, let me read you a definition of it. Nearsightedness or myopia is a common vision condition in which near objects appear clear, but objects farther away look blurry. It occurs when the shape of the eye or the shape of certain parts of the eye causes light rays to bend inaccurately. Light rays that should be focused on nerve tissues at the back of the eye are actually focused on the front of the retina. And so nearsightedness usually develops during childhood and adolescence and it becomes more stable between the ages of 20 and 40. Um, and I would say that without thanksgiving as part of our prayer, we actually develop a, a spiritual type of myopia where we can see the things maybe right in front of us, okay, and pray for those things. But the long-term things maybe are a lot more blurry. And so that's what thankfulness teaches us how to do, to go from being self-centered to God-centered gets us to look away from ourselves and to look at God's much bigger picture. It helps us to not only see our current circumstances, but to trust in God's much larger plan. And so I just want to encourage you even now to think through what are some hidden ways that you could thank God today in your prayers? Again, not ignoring your circumstances, but thanking God even in the midst of whatever nearsighted circumstances you're in. Thankfulness changes prayer from one-sided desperation to a loving relationship of dependence. So that's the first seasoning that I'm gonna encourage you to put on is thankfulness. Secondly, remember the second ingredient that I pointed us to was the word of God itself or the communication of the word of God, which is kind of what I'm doing right now. And again, that's important. It's important to read the Bible. It's important to teach the Bible. But what's the seasoning that has to go with it? Look at verses three and four. 
At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. The seasoning that has to go along with the communication of God's word is clarity. It's not enough just to, just to have the word of God taught or spoken or read or disciplined into our daily life, but it has to be made clear somehow to us. Clarity is so important to God's word because I imagine if I ask each of you, is there some part of the Bible that is unclear to you? I would imagine most of you would say, yes. The Bible is a long book. The teaching is deep. The implications of it are wide. The challenge of it is direct. And we need to understand it with as much clarity as possible, increasing clarity, so that we can actually allow it to, to shape and form in us what it can do. And so before we get to that point explicitly, I just think it's really great here that Paul says, that Paul invites the Colossian church into this prayer with him. Because Paul knows that he's kind of the primary communicator of God's word here. But you see here how he says, pray for me also that God may open a door for the word to go forth. So before he even gets to the clarity point, he's acknowledging that there are places still where there's a closed door in terms of access to the word of God. And church, let me just tell you again, I think we talk about the world a lot in this church, but there are still so many places in the world where there is closed access to the word of God that we need to partner together with God's people around the world to pray for an open door to places where Bibles are illegal, to places where having a public church service like this is, is illegal. And we need to pray for an open door uh, to, be, to be opened for the church so that the mystery of Christ can be taught with clarity so that people's lives can be changed because God's word is that powerful. It changes lives. And so that's why we commit to praying for the world in this church is because we know that part of our ministry is to pray for open doors and is to partner with missionaries and with, with workers around the world who can go into these places and start to break these chains of, um, of closed doors. And so that's the first thing. But once that door is open, because if you read through the book of Acts or you read through Paul's life, you see God opening doors because people like the Colossians are praying for those doors to be open. But once those doors are opened, then it becomes necessary for the communicator to teach the word of God clearly and well. And that's why we put such an emphasis in this church on the teaching of God's word, because it's that important. And I, I pray that I can teach it clearly. There are different types of ways to communicate God's word. You can do it formally, kind of like what I'm doing now, like standing up and preaching or going to a class and like sitting down and have it taught to you. But think of all the informal ways that the Bible can be communicated as well through daily interactions uh, with everyday people, with people that you encounter on your way, wherever you go. You can communicate with clarity or with murkiness, the word of God. So it's so important for us as a church to be equipping one another how to teach the Bible with clarity. A fuzzy gospel 
a blurry gospel. Again, think of that myopia. A fuzzy gospel is of no use to the world. A fuzzy or blurry good news that's not properly understood cannot impact anybody. But a clear, understood gospel changes lives. Think about in your life when the Bible or when the good news of Jesus went from a fuzzy abstract idea or religion and then it's almost like a, like a microscope that was being tuned and then it got it clicked at the right place and you saw with clarity who Jesus is, what he's done, your need for him. And it's like everything became crystal clear. Think about that moment where that happened for you. What led to that? What was required to get to that place? I think it's unique for each of us, but if I had to guess, there's a couple of common factors. Number one, I think you had someone that you really trusted that was sitting patiently with you in a process to show you what they thought was true. That was the case for me. It was someone in college that just opened up the Bible, but even more so than that at the beginning, just committed to sit with me and to show me what what had changed his life. Secondly, a commitment to actually reading the scripture together, to allowing the Holy Spirit to jump off the page through the words. You know, you'll, you'll notice in our, in our bulletin this morning in the prayer guide, you know, so we mentioned Syria that we're praying for earlier. But on the flip side of that, the prayer is for engaging with the Bible. That's, I want you to read through that at some point this week because what that's challenging us to is just a commitment to the Bible itself, to the reality that just we live in a culture where a lot of us have given up on scripture reading. When I say us, I don't necessarily mean you and I, but as a culture, we have so much access in this part of the world to the Bible itself, but oftentimes we don't even really read it that much. But the Bible is not meant to confuse you. The Bible is meant to lead you into all truth and into clarity. And then I think the last thing of, um, you know, some common factors maybe of things that kind of snap uh, the good news into clarity into focus for us is that there was some kind of easily memorizable understanding of the big picture of what the Bible is. And so let me just give you one of them because I'm not going to let you off the hook without clarity today either. Here is a, a, just a four-step understanding of Genesis to Revelation that I think puts into crystal clear focus God's plan for the world. Creation. God created the whole world. He is the one creator of it all, and he created the world good. Creation. Secondly, fall. Humanity rebelled against God. We fell. We chose to go our own way and thus sin entered the world and so there's a broken relationship. Third, redemption. God did not give up on humanity, but he pursued us. And in the person of Jesus, he redeemed humanity. He bought us back to God so that we might have a way. And then fourth, new creation. God is making all things new. He will come again one day and bring a new heavens and a new earth and restore all things back to rightness, to wholeness. Creation, fall, redemption, new creation. 
That's the story of the Bible, really simplified with a lot of details that we're overlooking, but that's, that's the story of the good news. And at the heart of it is God himself coming in to our place and buying us back to God, giving his life for ours. That's the clarity that we need. And again, the joy of the church is we get to walk alongside one another throughout our whole life and just go deeper and deeper into, in one sense, a really simple understanding of what life is all about. Simple enough to where my five and seven-year-old daughters can understand it, but also deep enough to where, you know, a Harvard PhD can continually plumb the depths and find new riches at the bottom. Clarity is another seasoning we have to have baked in. Thirdly, look at verse five. Let's look at another ingredient. Uh, Verse five says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. I I summarize this as the, the ingredient of the Christian life is witnessing, meaning that as Christians, we're meant to live as witnesses of God in the world. So we relate to what's called here outsiders, people that maybe are not believers yet. We are meant to be witnesses of God in the world. And again, that's, that's a core ingredient of being a Christian. But how do you do that well? What's the seasoning that brings that to life? And the seasoning that here it, it encourages us with is wisdom. Wisdom. So just think about it. We're reading a text here from Paul writing to a church in, Colossian, in, in Colossae. They're known as the Colossian people. 2,000 years ago, who relate to a certain people in that society 2,000 years ago. And yet here we are in Salem, Massachusetts, who are being encouraged with the same way to be witnesses, but totally different context, totally different types of people around us. So we need wisdom. We can't just drag and drop methods. We have to pursue wisdom together. And so the wisdom that's needed is understanding how do we interact and relate to the world that is around us? Do we simply do everything that the world does except put Christian on top of it? Or do we do nothing that the world does and stay away from the outsiders as much as possible, sheltering ourselves from the world? I don't think either one of those will do, right? And I don't think Paul would say that. So instead he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders and make the best use of time. You know, in John 17, Jesus says, um, he's praying for the church, praying for his disciples. And he says, he says, they are in the world, but not of the world. And he prays for them. He says, he says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And so how do we do that? How do we How do we be in the world, but not of the world? How do we learn to relate to people outside of the faith, outside of the church walls in wisdom together? I don't think there's a real easy answer to this one other than just pursuing Christ together. Uh, But let me give you just a few ideas. Um, I was reading an article this week uh, that was talking about a story. So so, so there was a story of of a pastor um, who actually, and instead of summarizing this, let me just read this for you so I can make it a little bit more clear to you. I was reading an article and this is how it starts out. It says, uh, there was a pastor who was uh, on an Australian morning show called Sunrise. 
and he was being interviewed by a non-Christian, so an outsider. So it's a, it's a non-Christian interviewing a Christian pastor. And he was interviewing this pastor um, about this. So it says, Andrew Thornburn had been dismissed for, for his association with City on a Hill Church just a couple of days after being appointed chief executive of a professional Australian football club. The reason given was that the church held to the traditional Christian positions on abortion and homosexuality. Can you feel your tension rising already? Here's a guy that's being asked, what's your position on abortion and homosexuality? And he's put on the spot with it. These beliefs were now declared as beyond the pale for someone prominent in Australian public life. So this person would not discuss his beliefs with the media so Sunrise invited the pastor of the, of the church to be interviewed instead to ask him, what are, what are the traditional Christian values when it comes to these two hard things? And so this pastor came on the, on the media, uh, on, on the TV show and began to give his answers. And as you can imagine, put in a scenario like that as he gave his answers with as much winsomeness as he could, but while trying to be um, committed to what he said the Bible thought, uh, or to, what, to what, he, what he thought the Bible said, he was roundly criticized for it, for his views on homosexuality and abortion. And so this article goes in to kind of analyze, like, how did, this, how did this go wrong? Or did it go wrong? And so the person writing the article said, actually, you know, if we're looking at what Paul would say is the way to interact with an outside world, he actually did pretty well. He, he, he showed a spirit of humility and love. He gave culturally compelling arguments and he had a quiet, courageous confidence in the truth of God's word. And yet in the outsider view, he was roundly condemned for his beliefs. And so for Christians, we have to learn how to walk in wisdom together. And that's not easy. But what Paul does encourage us with is make the best use of time. Hold fast to truth, but also learn how to relate to your people in your city and your time with patience and love and affection. And that's what leads us into the last part here. The last seasoning, which is the one that I think rounds the whole thing together. And it's verse six. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer each person. So if the last ingredient of the Christian life is relationships, here it says, you know, you, know, you need to know how to speak to people and you, know how to, you need to know how to answer people. All of us are living in relationship with people around us, whether insiders or outsiders, Christians or non-Christians. What's the seasoning that has to be baked into all of our relationships? And it's the one thing that the Christian church has that no other place has. It's the secret sauce for us all. And it's grace. The grace of God. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. You know, the seasoning salt. You know, Jesus talks about this in other places. In Matthew 5, he says, you're the salt of the earth. And then later in Luke 14, he says, you know, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Um, you know, salt is a, is a metaphor that Jesus uses, but 
really what it's getting at for us is this idea of, of both being a preserve, but also being a taste intensifier. You know, when you put salt onto something, it, it gives it a preserving aspect, but also gives it great flavor. You know, even the wheat thins that I ate had a little bit of salt on it. So I, it wasn't as bland as maybe I originally thought. But here's the thing about salt. And here's the thing about grace. Salt is actually not even really a seasoning. Salt is a mineral. As one Food Network person put it this week that I looked up, salt is the only rock that we eat. Think about it that way. Salt is the only rock that we eat. And for Christians, grace is the only thing that really can, can supplant everything else in terms of seasoning. You can pour as much grace onto our lives as possible and it won't be too gracious. Grace is the undeserved gift of God that is lavishly given with nothing expected in return. And if we relate to other people with that kind of grace, that's transformative. That's, that's real seasoning. That's real flavor that changes things. Grace is the crown jewel of the Christian faith. God gives us salvation in the person of Jesus by his grace and we receive it by faith and then we live out with grace towards everyone around us. If grace is the only rock we eat, it's because it's given by, by the rock himself, Jesus. He's the only rock we stand on and grace is the only rock that we flavor our lives with. Grace enables us and empowers us to listen. Grace enables and empowers us to empathize. Grace enables and empowers us to be bold and to share truth and hope. So those are the ingredients and those are the seasonings. Let me close with a, a ridiculous illustration. I apologize in advance for how ridiculous this is. But Kevin, if you could put, I have a couple of pictures I want to show you on the screen. Anybody see this? This was on social media this week. This just shows you a little bit of where our culture has gone. Sarah, have you seen this? So there was a guy in Philadelphia who committed to eat a full rotisserie chicken every day for 40 days. What a world we live in, right? What a world we live in. He, he wanted to eat a full rotisserie chicken every day for 40 days. And on the conclusion of it, on the 40th day, he invited people to come and watch him on the 40th day. And so I, I can't remember exactly what it says. Um, this chicken will be consumed on that abandoned pier near Walmart. Um, and then I love how he puts it at the bottom. This is not a party. This is just me eating a rotisserie chicken. It's like... So, Kevin, go to the next slide. Here he is on the abandoned pier, on the abandoned pier near Walmart. This is outside Philadelphia, eating a full rotisserie chicken. Again, this is not a party. That's what he said. Now, Kevin, go to the next slide. Here he is finishing the full rotisserie chicken on the 40th day. Again, this is not a party. That looks like a party to me. Looks like a party to me. Think about a rotisserie chicken for a second. It's just the most, I mean, it's a chicken that just spins. It's, it's a kind of an easy go-to meal when you didn't have anything else prepared. Not particularly known for being flavorful or full of seasoning or anything. And here's my thing. If, if a guy, a, a normal guy can get thousands of people to come watch him eat a rotisserie chicken for the 40th day in a row, 
and say it's not a party, but then it turns into a party. What do you think the world would do if they actually saw something really flavorful, actually really meaningful, actually really lived out, that actually had the opportunity to change people's lives? What if they saw that day after day after day lived out in real time with real people, a.k.a. the church, being the church, living with full seasoning, offering a real meal to the world, not just a ridiculous show that this guy was putting on. I mean, kudos to this guy, but, but the church has something much more meaningful to offer, right? I think we all would agree to that. And so the challenge for us and the call for us is, is to live fully into the, to the calling we've been given, to live this kind of meaningful life with this kind of seasoning, this kind of richness, so that the world around us uh, may find something real and tangible. So let me close us in prayer. Thanks for engaging my ridiculous ending illustration. Let me close us in prayer, then we'll sing uh, one final song together. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for giving us real life to live. Thank you for giving us real ingredients to hold on to. Prayer, God's word, witnessing, relationships, those are cornerstones for our life. But thank you for even giving us something richer to live into those things with. Clarity, wisdom, uh, grace. Lord, thank you for the, for the seasoning and the, the richness that we get to live out our life with. We pray that it would, it would change not only our life, but change the life of those around us, that they would see, see something captivating and full and that they would give their lives to Jesus because they would see that the, I want that as well. So Lord, um, teach us today. Um, Give us full confidence as we leave this place to live that kind of flavor-filled life in Jesus. And we pray all this in his name, amen.